Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corrine Pettit, and I'm here today with world-renowned dermatologist Dr. Alan Mentor, who is the Chief of Dermatology at Baylor, Scott, and White Health. Dr. Mentor has long held an interest in psoriasis. In 1994, he co-authored the first gene discovery for psoriasis, as well as initiating the International Psoriasis Council, also known as IPC. His research has examined everything from phototherapy and biologics to mapping of genetic patterns to predict if someone is at risk for psoriasis. Recently, Dr. Mentor had the distinction of co-chairing the development of guidelines relevant to the management and treatment of psoriasis. We're here today to talk about biologics presented in the Joint American Academy of Dermatology and the National Psoriasis Foundation Guidelines of Care for the Management and Treatment of Psoriasis with Biologics, which was released in February of 2019. The guidelines were developed based on evidence for the use of biologics in adults, which Dr. Mender will discuss today. So, to give our listeners a little bit of introductory information, biologics are prescribed for individuals with moderate to severe psoriasis. Some were initially developed to treat psoriatic arthritis. The TNF-alpha inhibitors were the first biologics to arrive in 2002, as you know, so let's talk a little bit about them. How effective is this class of biologic treatments? Well, as you correctly point out, uh, all the TNF-alpha agents were first tested in both rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis before we in dermatology finally were given permission to do studies for psoriasis. TNF-alphas in the majority of patients give you what we call a PASI 75 score in the low 70s, although there are differences between the TNFs. The joint disease responses, the ACR20 responses, are almost identical for the four TNF-alpha agents that are currently approved for psoriasis, but the PASI 75 scores are very different. And how are they different? If you take infliximab, Remicade, which is the only uh, intravenous TNF-alpha agent, after three infusions in week 0, 2, and 6, we did the national study. At week 10, the PASI 75 was close to 80. At the end of one year, it was only 59% PASI 75. So it, because of antibodies to the infliximab. But if you take Embryl, the PASI 75 score there is only about 50%. Humira, it's about 71%. Uh, so there are differences in the PASI scores, but not in the rheumatology ACR20 scores for joints. Okay, that's interesting. So how soon can a response be expected from a TNF inhibitor? And what's the next step if that response is not as expected? Well, it varies between the four approved TNF-alpha agents, infliximab, adalubumab, etanercept, and Simsia, the most recent one approved. So big differences. If you take, as I said earlier, the infliximab infusions, dramatic early responses. If you take etanercept, embryo, much slower responses. And it only normally clears people up and about 50% of patients. So I normally like to say, if I'm not seeing early signs of improvement at six to 10 weeks, then I think it's time to switch. 
but some of these drugs work better long-term than they do short-term. And psoriasis is a long-term disease, so we do need long-term maintenance of improvement. Yeah, absolutely, because we hear from patients all the time that it's frustrating that they stop working. Exactly. So is it recommended that TNF-alpha inhibitors be combined with other treatments? You know, in the rheumatology world, the majority of patients are taking additional non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or methotrexate in addition to taking TNF-alpha drug. And in the rheumatology studies, 56% of patients are on systemic agents before they start the uh, TNF-alpha agent. In our dermatology world, we only are allowed to use monotherapy. So we don't have good data, although in clinical practice, not clinical trials, many of the patients who are not responding well, we would add, say, methotrexate or phototherapy or a potent topical steroid. But now that we have all the new biologics, we would probably be switching from the TNF if they don't respond well. And can you address the latest developments around TNF inhibitors? We've heard that some of the new TNF inhibitors are now available to treat women who are pregnant or nursing, as well as pediatric patients as young as four. You know, the the most recent drug approved, Simsia, is the first of the TNF-alpha agents that has been shown not to allow the drug to pass through the placenta. And also in postpartum, when the baby is born, it does not excrete it in breast milk. So it's a drug that is very much more comfortable to be used in females who are considering pregnancy. Although on the other hand, many females who do get pregnant find that their psoriasis spontaneously improves during pregnancy, but it flares up big time immediately postpartum. So we've got to be very careful about that. So I've heard that TNF-alpha inhibitors offer a protective effect for cardiovascular disease. Can you speak to the impact of cardiovascular disease and the evidence that supports this protective effect? You know, one of the biggest problems we have in psoriasis are all the multiple comorbidities. And one of our guidelines that we just published in April in JAD was number one was on all the biologics and the second one was on comorbid conditions associated with psoriasis. And cardiovascular disease is one of our biggest problems. We've got multiple references relating to that. But TNF-alpha agents have been shown mainly retrospectively in studies that have been done at different hospitals like Southern California to show that patients on TNF-alpha agents with psoriasis had a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. But I think we now need studies that are ongoing to see if you start a patient on TNF-alpha, can you reduce the risk of those patients getting coronary artery disease, which is a huge big problem in our psoriasis population. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the IL-12 slash IL-23 ustekinumab, which is different from TNF-alpha inhibitors. What are some key points about ustekinumab? All the TNF-alphas, as I said earlier, were originally approved for non-psoriasis conditions. Ustekinumab was the first one approved purely for psoriasis. It's now also approved for Crohn's disease, but we've got nine years of safety data. We have a national registry that I co-chair with my dear friend, Dr. Kimball from Boston on 4,000 patients and nothing new has happened. In the early days, we were a little bit worried that it may be potentially triggering cardiovascular disease, but that has not been shown at all. So it is a very safe drug. It's only given every 12 weeks in the majority of patients. And it's a drug now that we've got good long-term safety data on. And it's also now approved for adolescents 
and I think eventually will be approved for children as well. And it's the first of all the biologic drugs that was first approved for psoriasis, and then thereafter it was approved for Crohn's disease. And is it just as uh, efficacious as some of the other biologics? It's as efficacious as the TNF-alpha drugs. It's got a PASI 75 score in the mid-70s. So it is as efficacious, if not more efficacious, than, say, Humira or Embril. Great. Uh, And so the IL-17 started to arrive in 2015. What's the primary difference compared to the TNF inhibitors and ustekinumab? Well, when... The IL-17 agents came to the market a few years ago. The immunopathogenesis of psoriasis was always considered to be TNF-alpha-based. That was the main consideration. Thereafter, IL-17 became well known as a major cytokine in the pathway of psoriasis. And as a result, the three IL-17 drugs came to market and gave better responses than the TNF-alpha agents gave. That is for skin. The joint disease responses were almost identical, and even one of the drugs that was itzikizumab did a head-to-head versus Humira for psoriatic arthritis and showed identical, if not slightly even better, responses for joints. But certainly the PASI 75 scores with the IL-17 drugs are much higher than the TNF-alpha drugs. So it sounds like targeting is a good thing. Targeting specifically IL-17 is a very positive thing. And we do believe it has less side effects. For instance, it doesn't have the potential that TNF-alpha agents have TB to be activated. And is that because it's focused more on one small part of it? Exactly. It's focused on one tiny little portion of the whole immunopathogenesis of psoriasis. So the newest biologics all seem to be targeting IL-23. In fact, we've just had a new IL-23 released in April. Can you speak to why this is occurring? Well, for many, many years, for a decade or two, it was considered that TNF-alpha was central to the immunopathogenesis of psoriasis. Then, five, seven years ago, IL-17s were discovered and understood And everybody thought that was going to be central. Now IL-23 has come to market, and that is equally central, if not more central. But I still do believe that the whole pathway, immunopathogenesis of psoriasis, involves TNF-alpha, IL-17, and IL-23. But the beauty of IL-23 is it's so targeted to a specific single cytokine, like IL-17 is, but it's a little further along in the pathway of the immunopathogenesis of psoriasis. So the new one that was approved a few months ago, Rizomkizumab, has shown dramatic early responses, and it's only given every 12 weeks, which patients do like. Yes, yes. Less needles yeah, is better. exactly. <laughs> and what's the primary difference between IL-23s and the IL-17s? Well, the one difference is that the IL-17s in their label have about a one in a thousand chance of triggering inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease and actually a two in a thousand risk of triggering ulcerative colitis. Both of those diseases are genetically linked to psoriasis. They're also immune-mediated diseases. But there's a very small risk with the IL-17s of triggering Crohn's or ulcerative colitis in the psoriasis patient population. IL-23s do not do that. So is it true that now we're seeing improvements as high as PASI 100 in the newer biologics? Well, PASI 75 has always been the standard. But now that we have the IL-17s and the IL-23s, 
We've moved from PASI 75 to PASI 90, and even, as you now say, to PASI 100. But PASI 100, the majority of patients seldom have ever reached that, except in about 50 to 60% of patients on IL-17s and 23s. Probably 75% of patients are reaching PASI 90 with the IL-17s and the IL-23 drugs. So the results are much better than we've ever had before. But PASI 100, when you really do a PASI score, in addition to looking at the head and neck, the trunk, the upper and the lower extremities from the waist down, the four body surface areas, very few people actually look at body folds like breast folds, buttock creases, groins, genitals, which are involved in about 60% of patients. So to get a PASI 100, you cannot have a speck of psoriasis in any part of the body. Most of the new drugs are getting about a 50 to 60% PASI 100 score, which patients love. So what biologics work best for the hard-to-treat types of areas, such as pustular psoriasis, inverse, or genital, like you mentioned earlier? That is one of the most important issues in psoriasis because palmer plantar psoriasis, be it plaque type or pustular type or the overlap between pustular and plaque, none of the biologics has ever shown more than a 50 to 60% clearance versus 90 to 100% with the TNF alphas and the IL-17s and the IL-23s. So there's lots of studies underway to try and see if we can better treat palmer plantar psoriasis because in the old days we had a drug Efeluzumab Raptiva that cleared about 80 to 90% of patients with palmar plantar psoriasis, but only about 40 to 50% in ordinary psoriasis. So palmar plantar psoriasis is a very different disease to ordinary psoriasis. The majority of people who get palmar plantar pustulosis or palmar plantar plaque psoriasis may not have any psoriasis anywhere else. So new uh, studies are underway to try and see if we can get better effects because at the moment we have to combine multiple different drugs, oral drugs and biologic drugs to try and get an improvement in palmar plantar psoriasis. Inverse psoriasis and genital psoriasis is common. We did a study with our European colleagues on genital psoriasis and we showed that 60 to 65% of patients at some stage had genital involvement. But no one has ever done a study, even with topicals, on genital psoriasis or inverse psoriasis. So inverse psoriasis is predominantly abdominal folds, breast folds, gluteal cleft, buttock creases, underarms, etc., even behind the ears. Uh, but the genital psoriasis, the first study that has ever been done on genital psoriasis was done with itzikizumab. It was a short 16-week study and showed that about 70 to 75% of patients were clear with their genital involvement. But it's a very difficult condition to treat because sexual activity and any friction is going to aggravate the psoriasis. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that there's a lack of those trials because uh, patients are not inclined to want to talk about it? I think that's a very, very good point. No one ever talks about it. When we did the study with our European colleagues on over 300 patients, we had to very gently approach patients about their genital psoriasis because even if they are clear and their scalp is clear, their arms and legs are clear, no one ever specifically says to them, do you have genital involvement? It's a very sensitive issue, but I believe it is something now that we know the incidence is over 60% that we should very gently approach and treat accordingly. So do you feel most biologics become less effective over time when treating psoriasis? 
You know, that's a very good question because, as we said earlier, psoriasis is a lifelong disease. And most of the studies that have been done in psoriasis are usually one-year studies. And, and the end point, the PASI end point is 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, which is great. In the U.S., everybody wants a quick, quick, quick response. But I do tell them that remember that psoriasis is lifelong. Yes, we can clear you quickly, but the thing that patients fear the most is once clear, they start flaring back up again. And we cannot predict when a patient is going to flare back up again. I've seen with all the IL-17s and IL-23s, patients totally clear for years, some of whom were in our clinical trials, and then they suddenly flare up. No trigger factors like stress or infections or drugs. They just suddenly flare up. We cannot anticipate when a patient's psoriasis is going to flare. That's why I tell patients who are clear, stay on your treatment because we cannot let your psoriasis flare back up again. Do you feel at some point the ability to identify when antibodies are starting to build up will be possible? I think we're going to be looking at what we call biomarkers, which will, number one, predict which drug is best for which patient. Because now that we've got 11 biologics, which one do we choose for which patient? We don't yet have those biomarkers. But I do believe that in the years ahead, we'll be able to predict when a patient is in remission, which means clear for six months to a year, because patients always say to you, doctor, I'm clear, can I not stop my drug? And I say no, because we cannot predict when it's going to flare back up again. And what patients fear the most is clearing them and letting them flare back up again. We've given them hope and we've taken it away from them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's something to look forward to in the future then. Very much so. That's very important. And how about the long-term safety data associated with biologics? Well, you know, we have data on, say, Etanercept Embryl now for nearly 20 years when it first came to market in 1979. It's now approved for children and childhood psoriasis, childhood arthritis as well. So we've got very good long-term safety data. And the big question with a new drug is, does it have long-term safety? And none of the drugs the IL-17s or 23s have been used for more than five years. So we do need registries. We have a registries for Embryl, 10-year registry for Humira, show no new side effects in 6,000 patients. So I think having registries for new drugs and looking at long-term potential side effects is very important. Yeah, because we hear a lot from patients uh, that they fear developing lymphoma as their biggest reason for not going on a biologic. Well, the reason why lymphoma got the warning was driven by a study that was done in Canada on children who were treated for gastrointestinal disease, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, because the TNF alphas were approved for that. But over 50% of them were were maintained on other systemic therapies as well, like 6-mecaptopurine, methotrexate, and 13 children died of a lymphoma. As a result, all the TNF-alpha agents got the risk for lymphoma. The big question is, do psoriasis patients at baseline, without any treatment whatsoever, have a risk of lymphoma? We think from the registry data, a very slight increased risk of the association of lymphoma with psoriasis, but less than 1%. That's good to know. So in closing, what final message would you like to pass along to our listeners about the guidelines and about the use of biologics? I think it's helpful for patients to understand the guidelines because patients, if they listen to a lot of the new drugs are now being shown on television 
advertised on television and the radio and the press, and every patient reads the side effect issues. They don't see the percentages, and then they go and Google the side effects, and they get very nervous. All patients say, oh, doctor, you're suppressing my immune system. You're going to cause cancer. You're going to cause infection. You know what I now tell patients? We're no longer suppressing your immune system. We are modulating it. Modulate means bring back to normal. We're taking one little cytokine, one chemical that is present in excess amount, IL-17, IL-23, and we're bringing it back to normal. The rest of your immune system is left intact. And I do believe that we need to explain that to patients because they're all very nervous when they start biologic drugs. So they think their immune system is going to be suppressed. It is no longer being suppressed. It is being modulated, bringing back to normal. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on Soundbites today and for providing insight on the management and use of biologics. Well, I really do appreciate you coming to to chat with me about this. Thank you very much. You can find out more information about biologic guidelines at psoriasis.org forward slash advance forward slash new hyphen psoriasis hyphen treatment hyphen guidelines hyphen announced. Additional guidelines will be featured in upcoming episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.